Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. happening everybody welcome to a brand new episode of crossed up phillies fresh off of a five and two west coast road trip two out of three against the mariners three out of four against the dodgers they've brought themselves back to relevance phillies baseball is here as we trend towards memorial day weekend everybody's excited right anthony they went five and two on this road trip right bob that's correct, right? I mean, I mean, I'm, I didn't misread that. That's they correct. They did go five and two on a road trip that I said a week ago they'll probably go two and five or three and four on. So yes, they did go five and two. Then why does it feel like they went one and six? It feels like that because again, <laughs> the bullpen, in the worst way possible, lets you down in the final inning to the final out and i gotta say somebody tweeted it out yesterday and it was amazing and it was spot on you would have rather them just lose the game 10 nothing yesterday and say hey no big deal it happens yep. <laughs> you know exactly so, so yeah it was a tough way to finish uh what was otherwise a, a fantastic road trip one that this team desperately needed you know you, you rewind a week ago and you're talking about a 12 and 16 team seven games out you look at the schedule that's coming up here through the remainder of May and the way it starts in June, and there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues. We talk about them being lifeless. And then what they did this week was they showed some resilience. They showed some fight. They showed some some offensive punch. Things that we were waiting for from this team. We saw those things. And so there's a lot to feel good about, and we will unpack all of that. But I'm 100% with you. The way it ended yesterday, it was it was tough to stomach, and and God forbid you and I schedule a show and have absolutely nothing negative to say whatsoever. But here we I, are, and and I, all I, text, I texted you last night. I said it's a good thing that they lost this game. Otherwise, we won't know what to do with ourselves tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're back in our comfort zone after that one. So I mean, listen, I guess because it's the most immediate thing uh, that happened, let's just jump right to it. And I promise you, if you're listening to the show and you want to talk about the Phillies and their resurgence and, and all of the good things. We yeah. will get to that. We will. We will. But we do need to kind of walk through what happened yesterday. And again, Aaron Nola, seven innings, eight strikeouts, two earned, pitched out of some tough spots, a lot to feel good about there. And you thought, you thought it would be enough until your familiar took the mound and threw one pitch. And then you realized, oh, that may not be enough. I didn't even need the one pitch. You just had to say you're somebody that took the mound. That's it. I was in, I was I knew they were in trouble then. So this bullpen is a problem, and I wrote about this this morning on Crossing Broad. I kind of took inventory of where everything sits, not everything, but just some big picture bullet points this morning, and it was one of the things that I touched on. 
it's it's interesting. I always talk about like Twitter and interactions on Twitter, and I think that there is a, a section of this fan base that's like you can't possibly skew negative after what happened this weekend. I uh, I sent out a tweet that this bullpen is killing this team. It continues to be a problem, and I got some. I got some people agreeing with me, but I did get some pushback like, wow, you would have thought they lost three out of four. You would have thought they went two and five on this trip. You would have thought, I'm like, well, let's pump the brakes here. We're talking about a 17 and 18 team that had an opportunity to go over 500 for the first time in more than a calendar month. It's not like we're talking about a a team that's nine, 10 games over 500. This was an opportunity yesterday. They remain a team that is chasing in the division. These wins matter. These games matter. And when you get down to the final out with nobody on base and you're holding a lead, you got to find a way to win the game. And so it was a tandem thing between Knabel and Familia. What did you see from Familia yesterday? Because there are a few things that really bothered me. He couldn't control the fastball at all. At all. That, he, couldn't, he couldn't place that. He couldn't throw a fastball for a strike. To, to help, to, it, it amazes me. Like I think the Dodgers helped him out. Uh, Trey Turner helps him out by swinging at the pitch that he swings at, grounded to the double play. Um, uh, man, like I, I, I was convinced. I couldn't believe you know you got to face the three batters. I couldn't believe they had no one warming up in the pen, and they were going to leave him in there. And the only other person they had, they finally got Brad Hand up. They got Brad Hand up for Max Muncy, who was three more batters away. They were going to leave Familia in for for Turner and Will Smith, regardless as bad as he was the first three batters in the inning. And that, that's what bothered me more than anything. So he, he couldn't control his fastball. So anything else he was le- leaving, he was like kind of like leaving it out over the plate and, or he was wild. And the Phillies had no, no, desert, no, you know, no concern, no worries. Let's not like, get him out because he doesn't have his stuff and get somebody else in quick. We'll let him pitch to these five guys. No problem. And that, amazing. That, that's what bothered me. When you watch the inning unfold, I know he gives up just the one run and dances out of some trouble, but he gives up a, a 99 mile an hour rocket to, to Turner, and then Smith comes back and hits the ball 100 miles an hour off the bat. So it's not like these were. Uh, I, I heard the broadcast yesterday, like credit him for bearing down and making some tough pitches. I, I don't know. The pitch to Turner, it ran in a little bit, just enough. But I mean, both of those balls were absolutely ripped. And he was just, it was a bad inning. It's another bad performance by him. He was bad. I believe it was Friday night. Uh, he, he ran into issues in the ninth. I mean, the, the bigger issue for me is you look at this bullpen and I know they won three out of four. And so it's like the, the ultimate qualifier. You have to credit the Phillies. It's a great weekend. How can you complain? Well, I, I can, because when you focus on the end result and not the process to the end result, it can be foolish and you can be setting yourself up for, for big issues down the line here. You look at the way that this series played out Thursday night. We already talked about this. The Jose Alvarado meltdown in the eighth inning. They blow a four run lead in the eighth Friday night. They blow a two run lead in the ninth Sunday. They blow the lead in the ninth. I I mean, there's three games, three out of the four games there. they, They could have had very different results in the first two, Thank God they were resilient enough offensively and had enough fight that they were able to punch back. So, yeah, you can say they won three out of four. Yay, clap your hands and and be excited about it. You should be. There's a lot to feel good about today. But you're kidding yourself right now if you look at this bullpen, which, by the way, has the fourth worst bullpen ERA in all of baseball. So I'm not just isolating on one bad weekend here. It remains, from a more uh, high-level viewpoint, a problem for this team. 
Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, there's not many guys in that in that bullpen that I look at and go, I feel comfortable with them coming into the game right now. I, I think Dominguez is probably the guy I feel most comfortable with, most reliable, I would say at this point. Uh, fair on that one, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dominguez has a 2.63 ERA this season, 14 appearances. He's only been scored upon three times in the 14 appearances. He's he's been really good. Brad Hand also Hand Brad, is Hand is be my second guy. Yeah, and and then probably Norwood would yeah, be the third one. Norwood's given them that's, some that's innings. That's it. Bilotti's given them some decent innings, but these are guys yeah. when you're talking about like is is Andrew Bilotti going to be a guy that you know as you progress here are you really going to be relying on him and right. you might be if if Yuri Shamilia continues to give you what he what he has given you to this point. So you know I know Joe likes Jose Alvarado. I know that he he trusts or at least is has to trust Yuri Familia, but both are very untrustworthy. And the one thing I will say, it does go a little bit beyond Joe Girardi. I talked about this not last time, but the the episode prior, just kind of sniffing around the team a little bit and and getting acquainted with the way that they think uh, and the way that this sort of goes from, from process to way that it plays out during games. I talked before about Joe Girardi managing to, to pockets and he is given, he's given data. He's, he's given information, uh, by the front office about how to use these guys. When should they be used? And he ultimately has final say over how they're going to be deployed, but it is a collaborative process. The way that they leverage their bullpen and they've spent money, 6 million on hand, 6 million on Familia, 10 million on Knable, but here we are, 35 games into the season. You can pretty much confidently say that they're going to have to do more to address this bullpen moving forward if they want to be serious about being a player down the stretch. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, you know, Knievel blows it yesterday. I mean, he gets, gets the first two outs and then then gives up the game. And it's not like necessarily that the, the hit by Lux was really a bad pitch because it wasn't. It was actually a decent pitch, right? I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to kill Knievel, but let's be honest with you. He's got what? He's lost three games already. I think he's got th- three blown saves in, yeah. in ten opportunity in ten opportunities. Is that right? I, I see it's close. It's either two or three. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm not sold on him as a closer. I'm okay with Kniebel staying in the bullpen. I, I, like, <laughs> You're gonna have to be. <laughs> no, I mean, no, but seriously, you know, and, and I'm not. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to sit here and tell you that I think that he stinks. I mean, I, I don't. I don't. I just don't. I'm just not certain that he is a closer anymore uh he seemed to have his most most recent success had been seventh eighth inning kind of role um but uh, you know so i think that ultimately this team's going to need a closer again uh and they may have it on there i mean if, if dominguez keeps doing what he does maybe he gets back into that role eventually who knows um hand's got some experience there but i also like hand kind of like in that in that kind of you know seventh eighth inning kind of you know, get the get the big outs when you need it kind of role, especially if you're going up against a lefty. The way, if, especially if he's spinning his slider that way. So, like, I, I'm I'm kind of okay with these guys being part of the bullpen, not Familia or Alvarado, but you know the other guys. You know, and you, you hope that Brogdon starts to find it again. I mean, he he had some velocity issues early in the year. He's back, you know, but he's not getting any high pressure spots yet. Maybe you get him a couple opportunities. Uh, Francisco Morales, there might be something there. He's a big kid, throws hard, doesn't have a lot of control. I think that's the problem right now. He hasn't given up a hit yet in three appearances, right? Or two appearances. 
Um, so maybe there's a, maybe there's something in, in in there that you can find and, and, and kind of work with as as the summer goes along. So I'm not completely going to say the bullpen's going to be a disaster the rest of the way. Like in the past two years, we looked at this bullpen and we were like, "There's no saving this thing." No, I, 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 I think there's I think it's salvageable, but it needs it needs help. Yeah, right? I mean, is that been, fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. There's been some some positive performances. We noted them. Uh, I think there's some guys that you could feel pretty good about late in games, but they do need more. And you mentioned Morales, who's optioned to AAA after the game. He's somebody I think they just want to give a little bit more seasoning to, somebody that they, they kind of want to work out uh, and maybe just not throw right into the fire there. But I do think you'll see him back and, and mm-hmm. contribute at some point. I do like him. I know they like him uh, since he was converted from a starter into the uh, relief role. As far as Knable goes, I agree with you. And one of the things that, that I see, and I actually I wrote this today, it's – it's a situation where he's a good pitcher. I think everybody understands that he can get outs late in games. Does he have the ability to consistently take down the ninth inning? And that's that's the question. It's not that you don't like the guy. It's not that you think that he's a bum or that he can't get anybody out or that he's overmatched. I mean, the stuff plays, but does he have the the, the I guess the stuff, but the mental the the mental ability to come in every night and and lock down the door at the end of the game and I do think that it's reasonable and it's it's fair to question whether or not he can do that you know 15 appearances so far this season he's given up runs in four of them there's no such thing as a, a good blown save but he's been in the the middle of a couple catastrophic losses uh, which obviously sours you a little bit so we'll see you know I think the jury's still out whether or not he can he can do it in the ninth at the level you're going to need him to do it. Well, here, here's another here's another issue that that really cropped up on this road trip with the bullpen. They walk way too many people. Yeah, <laughs> the walks are out of control. They're not giving up a lot of hits. I mean, if you look at every one of these guys, with the exception of really the two guys that we we keep you know banging on it, and that Alvarado and Familia, the rest of the the rest of the bullpen doesn't give up hits, but they walk a, a ton of people yeah i'll put that into context for you uh this morning the phillies uh relievers are issuing 4.67 walks per nine which is the worst mark in all of baseball so not only is 4.67 insane right but in context and in terms of how that number relates to the the rest of the league and the rest of the game's performance it's it's horrible only the reds are even close at 4.62 and we know what the reds are i mean they just lost a baseball game without a hit yesterday (laughs) or without giving up a hit so um you know i think you're absolutely right it's one of the things that if you want to go a little deeper into the end of this game i saw with familia it wasn't just that oh he was fat in the plate it's that He's not just missing, it's non-competitive. I guess it was uh-huh. Ben Davis who was, was on air yeah. yesterday. He used that phrase. It's a phrase I love it, to use. And, and, and what we mean by non-competitive is it not just that it was a ball or that it bounced or that it missed. It's that wasn't even close. from the time the, the pitcher gets to the release yeah. point, yep. as a batter, you know, there is no shot that I have to compete with this pitch. This is not going to be a strike. And... Everything ran on familiar, and and so it's that. Then you have the Jose Alvarado experience. It's just it, it, it's hysterical because this is it's so funny that this ha- you're bringing it up too because literally the pitch before. So he um, Ben Davis mentions it on the walk. Okay, so it's the two two. It's the two two pitch. Familiar throws that fastball that's running running way out of the strike zone, not even close at ninety seven. And I'm sitting there with my dad because it's with family dinner Sunday night. And I look, I look at him. I'm like. 
that's a non-competitive pitch. Like, why are you even throwing that? And then, of course, he walks him on the next one, and I'm frustrated. Ben Davis go, says it, and my dad goes, did you just text him that? I'm like, no, it's just it's, it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. That's these, these pitches are not even close. The batter doesn't have to think. It's like, yeah, all right, let's just waste it. it, it it's, so, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating to watch. And it's interesting, too, to kind of highlight a, a positive point Phillies relievers are also sixth in baseball in strikeouts per nine, a little over 10 per nine. And so that's nice. And it shows, okay, there's some plus stuff, which has been a problem for this bullpen in years past. They don't have enough guys that can, can generate swings and misses. This year, they've, they've been able to sort of do that, but it's been at the expense of, of just completely losing control of the strike zone, which has been a killer for this team so far. Yeah, and you, know who the, you know who the best strikeout guy is in the bullpen right now? I don't uh, off offhand. Andrew Bellotti. Andrew Bellotti, huh? Fifteen strikeouts and nine in the third. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought that, right? So right I now, mean, what you're looking at is uh, some 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 guys that have provided value on the margin, so to speak. But your yeah. your big time targets haven't exactly delivered the way that you had hoped. Right. I mean, Dominguez Dominguez has more strikeouts, but he's also pitched thirteen and two thirds innings. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. I went by I went by strikeouts per nine innings. So you look at this loss yesterday, and obviously it, it stinks in well, a the, lot of ways. Th- there was one other thing I wanted to, I wanted to make. It has nothing to do with the bullpen, the loss. Because if I want to get to the pause, there is – you're right. We can't – we can sit here and, and nitpick one bad well, loss. we're already – we're approaching 17 minutes in, and we haven't yeah. been too positive. So let's right, and there was, the, but there, was one, there was one more thing I wanted to get to because I felt like the Phillies, as, as great as the offense has been for the past week, they left. They, they they left a little bit of meat on the bone yesterday. Oh, they sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that to me. As as much as the bullpen is an issue, the bullpen doesn't become an issue if you just do a couple things differently in 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 the uh, in the game. I mean, you know, when you go three walks and a hit in an inning and don't score, you know, and, and Dubal had a terrible at bat in that bases loaded. Right? I mean, so they, there was a couple of times when the Phillies had a real chance to tack on to those four runs that they got early. And just never did. They just didn't do it yesterday. And you can sit there and say, no Harper, no real Muto. Okay, fine. I get it. You, what more can you expect out of, you know, when you're playing this kind of lineup? That's fine. But they also went up against a pitcher who had never pitched in Major League Baseball before. And a couple of relievers of the Dodgers, not the greatest relievers, okay? The Dodgers have some really good bullpen pieces. But the ones that they threw out yesterday, were, we're not their, they're not their best guys. I mean, they've had some good numbers early in the season. But when you really break it down, are they really the guys that are going to be you know, the ones going you know, that you're going to you know, rely on at the end of the year? Probably not, right? So I mean, yeah. this, these are the guys that the Phillies should have been taking advantage of and didn't. And they also had another break, by the way. And I got to point it out just because we point out bad management when it comes up. Dave Roberts, man, in the seventh inning, trying to steal second base with your number nine hitter up, who hasn't hit. Now, granted, Lux, of course, comes back and gets the big hit to win the game, right? But in that spot... With two outs, and you got runners. You got runners in the corners, and you got him up, and 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 Mookie Betts on deck. What the hell are you thinking? Yeah, Steve I mean, a, a nice play by by Bryson Stott. Bryson Stott, but, yeah, yeah but, great play by Stott. You know, probably a, a situation where you, you would avoid that altogether. And I do agree. So it's interesting. I think that for me, when I kind of assess what happened this weekend, I always look more big picture and say. It's harder for me to point fingers at at certain things. So I agree offensively. You had a kid yesterday who 
Comes in, he's, he's raw, he's not really ready for that level. He pitched pretty well at AA in the Texas League so far this season, but he's not one of the Dodgers' top prospects. I believe he's like 23rd in their system, according to Pipeline. Right. A guy throwing mid-90s, nothing terribly special. So you would have liked to have seen the Phillies do a little bit more damage than what were, I guess, four unearned runs? Is that what it was in the second inning? I believe they scored four unearned, and they weren't really able to do anything beyond that. Now... In the seventh inning, they have an opportunity to kind of break things open here and, and add some insurance. And you mentioned Odubel Herrera's at bat, and he gets a 2-1 slider that bounces. Talk about non-competitive pitches. He gets a 2-1 slider that bounces and goes between his legs. And because it went between his legs, it kind of exacerbates the ridiculousness and, and how stupid the at-bat and that swung looked. He ends up then bouncing out end of inning, offering it that 2-1 pitch, completely changed the tone of that at bat. All the, all the more reason was because Almonte was all over the place. All over the place. He, he couldn't throw, his another guy couldn't throw a strike. And, and then to be swinging in that spot, it's like. So <laughs> instead of going from 3-1 and the guy yeah. totally on the ropes, now he's 2-2. It just, again, it changes the total tone of the at bat. And the Phillies obviously don't end up scoring. That being said, the reason why I immediately go to the bullpen is, one, because I see it as a far larger issue. Mm-hmm. Two, the guys that combined at the end of the game to blow the game are making $16 million together this season. I have a harder time getting on a guy that's making $1.75 million and has an 825 OPS and has done, despite what people, how people feel about him, has done a decent job, especially in relationship to what he's being paid. And, oh, by the way, the Phillies scored 33 runs in four games against an elite Dodgers pitching staff this weekend. So I just, my immediate focus goes to the bullpen. Correct. And I kind of say it is what it is. They had four runs. They had Aaron Noll on the mound. He gave them seven innings. They should have won the damn game. Yeah, exactly. you're 100% correct. And that's why we pick on the bullpen first and foremost. It's the bigger problem. And everything else you said was 100% true. You can't, you know, like I said, we can nitpick a lot of things in a loss. You always can. You could go a bat by a bat, pitch by pitch. You could find things that guys did wrong all throughout a game. You know, when you're when you're breaking down a loss, that you probably glance over during a win and say, "Oh, well, yeah, they won the game. It doesn't no big deal." And those these things happen. Look, I'll tell you something I thought was a great thing in yesterday's game. Their infield defense yesterday was sensational. Very. Which, good. which you don't. How often do we sit here and say that they have good defense, Bob? Uh, don't get to touch on the defense uh, too often, but yeah, they made a, a series of plays in yesterday's game that really preserved the lead as, as, for as long as they had it. I mean, between Camargo uh, with the stab at third, and then the turn from Segura, who h- hangs in and, and takes a shot on the turn, and then Reese Hoskins does a great job to pick it. Uh, that was a massive, massive uh, development in that game. Because uh, it really looked like things were starting to get away from Aaron Nola at that point. So that really stabilized things in the midsection of the game. Scott uh, with the play at second. Yeah. A leap uh, on the, the leap. line drive. Yep. And then the on the steal that you had already talked about. So Stott with a couple nice plays. Listen, I know that the offense isn't there for Bryson Stott. And maybe it's because they went 5-2. and two. I'm a little bit more forgiving this morning. But I, I like what I see from him. He seems to have a a certain acumen, a certain baseball IQ, like a feel for the game. And I I think that the offense is going to come. I'd, I'd obviously like to see a little bit more, but I've been overall impressed with his presence within the game so far. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and you know, and sometimes, man, it just, takes a, it just takes a little bit to figure it out at the next level, right? But if Bryce, even if Bryson Stott never becomes a 
you know, a big offensive player. If Bryson Stock can be a good defensive infielder, shortstop, second, but whatever he ends up being, right? And so far, he does not look like he's – he doesn't look out of place at shortstop by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he, you know, he, he may eventually play – I know mean, some scouts think he'll, he'll ultimately be a better second baseman defensively than shortstop, and that's okay. But if he, even if he's just, you know, league average at shortstop, if he's a 250 hitter, you know, provides a little bit of offense in the bottom of your lineup, are you complaining? No, I'm not. Absolutely not. I mean, I think I'm you not. feel pretty good about that. And, you know, I don't want to overlook uh, Stubbs did a nice job behind the plate yesterday, yeah. a couple good at bats for them. And then G Segura makes a, a really nice play with Familia in the game. He gets the final out of the eighth inning. Uh, I know he was positioned, they shifted properly, ball was hit right at him, but I mean, ball came out hot. He stayed down on it, made a big play in a big spot. So yeah, I mean, from a from a defensive perspective, yesterday, the Phillies did do a nice job. Here's one thing I did want to ask you though about about defensive positioning, on both Bellinger's triple, and Lux's game winning hit. Why does it seem? And maybe it's Dodger Stadium and the way that it it lays out, and maybe it seems different on TV. But did it not to you seem like Castellanos had to run a hell of a long way to get to those balls? On left-handed hitters down the line, I mean, aren't you supposed to take away the line? Aren't you supposed to say no doubles defense? Is that kind of like the premise, of, right? And I'm just curious, and like maybe he's taking away the gap. And, but if you got, you know, you got to rely on your center fielder a little bit to be able to cover the, that area. You know, that ball's going to probably be in the air a little bit longer. Something down the line, it's guaranteed extra bases if you're that far away. Yeah, so on Bellinger's ball, I think even if they, they shift properly, so I, like just to work through it, and one, I was not there. Two, I did not see uh, you know, the, the zoomed-out view of, of how the defensive alignment worked, but I agree with you. It took exceptionally long for him to get to both balls, and I don't think it was for lack of effort. Right. So with Bellinger, you have a one-run lead, no doubles defense, Makes a lot of sense, obviously. You want to shoot that runner out of scoring position. I do think that the way the ball was hit, he's going to be on second base no matter what. Like, they weren't keeping him out of scoring position even with a, di- a different defensive alignment. F- but me- it ends up being a triple, Bob. That's the right. thing. It, yeah, sure. But with two outs, does it – I know he can score on a wild pitch, score on an error. Yeah, yeah. I get right, yeah. To do it, but okay, not the end of the world. To me, though, they had no play. I mean, when the ball lands on, on Lux's – I guess it was scored a double at the end of the game. I don't know if yeah. he ever touched second or not. But it was like off the bat, you knew the game was over. Like there was no way that they were going to be able to cut down that run coming from first. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. You say like, well, how, how did we not even have a play on that? You know? Yeah. And so, so yeah, I mean, it's something that you kind of scratch your head out. I don't know if they just felt like... The, the way that, you know, their numbers, the way that everything plays out, they're going to be more gap-oriented to the right side there. I, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah I mean, it was, it was interesting. not even have a – it was it was so obvious and so immediately obvious, you knew that there was not going to be a play. I mean, the ball dinged the ground and the game was over. You, you just knew it. Yes, exactly, exactly. So – But now shift gears. We, we got we, – we we, 20 minutes, we yelled and screamed. We did it. We did, got, it, we got out. it out of our system. Let's talk about how good the week was. All right, so, I mean, I think that where you have to kind of start, and if you feel good about this team right now, where they're at, there, there's two things. It's been a tough start for this for this club, and it could have gotten out of hand. The Phillies this morning, 35 games in, could have found themselves eight and a half and nine and a half games out. They could be trailing multiple teams in the division. And instead, it's just the Mets, and it's just five and a half games. 
And they still have a leg up on the Braves, as shaky as things have been. They're still ahead of the Marlins. They're still very much in a solid space. I, I mean, I don't think anybody should be excited and, and ecstatic over 17 and 18 and, and being a handful of games behind the pace in the division, but it could be a lot worse. And I think that that's how you sort of have to feel after this past week. And so if you like where this team's headed and you feel good about where they're headed, it, it probably comes back to the offense. And so let's just give some numbers here and kind of assess where they're at. 256 batting average this morning, second best in all of baseball. 431 slugging percentage, best in baseball. 750 OPS, best in baseball. 8.6% extra base hit rate, first in baseball. You start to go into the deeper numbers like isolated power, they're fourth. 44 homers, if you like the counting stats, they're fifth best. And just from a, do they hit the ball with authority? You look at both hard hit rate and average exit velocity, they're fifth best in baseball on both of those metrics. So they're hitting the ball hard, they're hitting it far, they're doing it frequently. This offense we thought was going to be one of the best in the game, and it is. It could be a little bit more consistent, but it has stacked up as the best offense or one of the two or three best offenses in all of baseball. You believe it? Do you buy it? I have to. I think that you, when you looked at what they brought in here, you have to buy it. I'm, I'm actually, they're, they're, I think you said they're tied. Did you say, I don't even know if you threw this one out, that they're tied for fourth in runs per game? Um, yeah, I, di I didn't even go into that, but yes, I mean, they're right there. They're, they're one of a handful of teams that are hovering around the five runs per game mark, right? Yeah, now. only the Dodgers are over five, and then the Giants uh, and Angels are just a tick ahead of them, and they're tied with the Yankees. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you got, I mean yes, I, I, I don't think that this is, a, this is a fluke. I mean, when you look at the teams that are up here, right, these are the teams that you expected to be good this year. Dodgers, Giants, well, Angels, but we already got into that. We got into that a little bit at the end of last week. Yankees, Phillies, Brewers are right behind them, right? I mean, so, so the, these are the teams you expected to be good teams in baseball, um, and the Phillies are finding ways to score. And, and they're doing it, yeah, obviously they're doing it with the long ball, with the 44 home runs. It's no surprise. I mean, that was kind of how they were put together. But it's not just the long ball. It's not just that. We, we talked about having a good approach at the plate. We talked about, you know, leading the, lead, leading the majors in extra base hits. They got 63 doubles. Only, only Boston has more doubles, and a lot of the reason Boston has more doubles is because of the park they play in. That's usually the case, right? I mean, you know, you've got the green monster out there. You hit a line drive 250 feet. It's going to be, it's going to be a double off the wall. Uh, so, so, like, I mean, you know, you, they're legitimately doing things and that, you, that you would hope that they would have done. And we talked yeah, about were, last week, too. They're yeah. stealing bases. I mean, they're fourth right now in steals per game. Yeah. So they've, they've done it in a variety of different ways, and you, you have to kind of feel good about the diversity of, of their approach at this point. They hit and run a little bit too. They don't That's walk about... as much as they have in years past, which is, yeah. which is why when you do OPS, that number, you say, oh, they're best in baseball in OPS, that's almost exclusively driven by the slugging percentage. They, yeah, I mean, they're still top 10. They're still top 10 in on base. Yeah. Not that it's terrible, the on base, but it's because, it, again, it's boosted by average. I mean, talking right. about the second best average, just in terms of walks per game, that number's down a little bit, but I don't hate that. You remember we used to have those conversations about, yeah, walks are great, base runners are great, you're working pitchers, but you have to be able to drop the hammer. You want to see guys be a little bit more aggressive in the strike zone yes I mean, how yes. many times did we have that conversation i agree well this agree. year you're seeing the the ex, it's at the expense of the walk rate but you're seeing more damage done now yeah 100%. and i won't complain it with that you know
Yeah. No, I th the, the one thing, if I guess, if you want to, you know, and I think that they, I think that they do a good job getting guys in too. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you have the numbers there in front of you, Bob, about how they are with runners on base and runners in scoring position or any of that stuff. But you know, I look, I look at things like you know, I always look at if you get, do you, are you leaving guys on? Right. And they're they're like one of the better teams in baseball at getting guys. Uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They're ninth fewest uh, runners left on base. So if you're if you have the best batting average, right, or second best batting average, um, and you're getting all these guys on base, and you're only and you're leaving less guys on than most teams. Yeah, you're doing it. You're doing it right. And yet we've had those moments of frustration because. They had a few games where it wasn't working. And, and I think that we really – we talked about it a few episodes ago. I don't remember which one it was. But, I mean, I think it was definitely during that homestand where there was a lot of fly balls who were like, damn, later in the year that, that ball is going to be a home run. Right. Or that ball is going to hit the wall. And it's just not getting knocked down because of the time of year, whatever. Like, I think those things are legit. And you see when you go out west and you go out there and you play in the 90-degree weather in Los Angeles and all of a sudden those balls are flying, Right. I think that there's a little bit to that too. So I mean, I, we, we we had a we, we kept preaching preaching the patience with this offense. It's there, it's there. And the thing the thing that impresses me most with this team, as well as the offense has played, as as good as the offense has been, the thing that has impressed me most has been the starting pitching, which was my concern, if you remember, at the beginning of the year, because I really felt like. Maybe Wheeler had gone a little bit too far. They had pushed him too much. Maybe Nola wasn't, you know, he is, isn't quite what we thought he was. Maybe he's just a step below. You know, they don't have the depth. Maybe Ranger Suarez was much better as a bullpen guy than he will be as a starter. Like, I had all these concerns. And, I, you, know, you know, Gibson's obviously been better than expected. I, right now, as a group of five, is there much better out there? I'm not certain that there is. No, I mean, listen... <laughs> I kind of wanted to stay on the offense, but let's go here and we'll come back. We're here, so let's do it. So you look at Aaron Nola, right? And what I'm seeing now, you, you talk about his last six starts, and I have numbers here. Like, I'll just give this to you very quickly. Aaron Nola in his last six starts, and I've been very critical of Aaron Nola. I've been one of these guys that's like, yeah, I know, we all want to say that he's a 1A or a 1B, but he's pitching more like a 3 or 4. And he had really done that for about a year. Going back to the end of 2020 through the end of last season, there were a lot of conversations, a lot of dialogue about what is he? Is he really a 2? Is he a 4? Is he a guy that we've already seen the best of? And so what we've gotten from him now, his last six times out, 37 and two-thirds innings pitch. So he's averaging more than six innings per start. He's only allowed 30 hits in those 37 and two-thirds innings, 12 earned runs, six walks, 43 strikeouts, opponents hitting just 219 against him. That's a 287 ERA over his last six starts. Now, the Phillies have not won any of those starts. They are 1-7 this season when Aaron Nola takes the ball, 0-6 in those last six games, all of which he's pitched well in. So I would say it has almost nothing to do with Aaron Nolan, pretty much everything to do with the bullpen, the offense not showing up when he takes the ball, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, this resurgence of Aaron Nola, what it does is it gives the rotation more upside. What I was saying earlier in, in the season, the, the beginning of March, the end of March, I like this team. I like the rotation. I know what Zach Wheeler is, but what is Aaron Nola? Can Ranger Suarez do it again? What is Kyle Gibson? What are we going to get from Zach Eflin? There's a lot of question marks, question marks. And you're going to get the inconsistent starts from Eflin, 
You saw what Gibson did the other night. He was bad. I know he's been really good this season, but he wasn't great. And then you just don't know with Ranger Suarez yet. I think you need to see more. You know that there's some upside there. But if Nola can be Aaron Nola, and Zach Wheeler can be Zach Wheeler, it, it just raises the ceiling of what this starting rotation can be. And that's why I feel good about the rotation right now. Because pretty much every time they go out there, there's at least a reasonable expectation that you're going to get somewhere between an excellent start to pretty solid. And there's not a lot of teams that can say that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, you know, they've been again the last few weeks. Obviously, I, 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 I kind of push April, most of April out of the, uh, out of the equation just because it was it was just like an extended spring training for all across baseball, not just for the Phillies. I mean, just you just kind of some guys were hot for you know just that you were unexpectedly so. Some guys were struggling unexpectedly so. So I think you just kind of push it out, right? But I mean, if you just look at now the games where these guys are actually throwing. 100 pitches, throwing at least six innings or whatever, giving you giving you the starts that you kind of expected. Yeah, man. Like Nola's been the Nola's been excellent. Uh, Wheeler the last couple starts has been really good. Uh, you know, we'll see what I mean. Eflin's going to go tomorrow. It sounds like, uh, which is actually a little bit of a surprise to me. They're giving everybody an extra day. Um, I, I kind of thought that they would they would just kind of squeeze him in in the stretch of the next six games, but they're going to go Eflin first against the Padres, which means he's also going to throw against the Dodgers. Um, yeah. I, I thought that they would try – in all honesty, I thought they would try and throw the same four guys against the Dodgers that they just threw this weekend because the Dodgers struggled against the Phillies. Gibson, they touched a little bit. But other than that, um, I mean, they struggled against Wheeler, struggled against Suarez, struggled against Nola. I kind of thought you would see the same thing again in Philly. Yeah, and there's, but, a, there's a little bit of a question about what you're going to get out of Zach Eflin here. Not only has he not pitched since May 1st, yeah. The last time we saw him, so you're talking about 15 days in between, 16 days in between starts, and the last time you saw him was that Sunday night game against the Mets where he really just gave you absolutely nothing. Now, right? I don't know uh, how he's felt the, the last couple weeks. You know, we talk about COVID, and Zach Wheeler was back on, on Thursday night. Zach Eflin back five days later. Uh was he affected by it? Has he been able to throw? Those are questions that will probably get answered before the game tomorrow uh, with a little bit more, I would say, probably a little bit more detail. But, yeah, I mean, where's where's Zach Eflin going to be? And guess what? I mean, that's the thing about this. We Everyone feels great about what the Phillies did last weekend, and, and they should, but there's no, no taking your foot off the gas. I mean, the Padres are legit. <laughs> Manny Machado's coming to town. I remember uh, – you know, good friend uh, Manny Machado, who almost ended up here. He's been yeah. arguably one of League the MVP. two best players yeah. so far this season. So, Phillies have their work cut out for them, and they're going to need something out of Zach Eflin tomorrow night. So, hopefully this isn't a situation where it's like, well, you know, it's been a couple weeks. We're going to take it easy, and we'll hopefully get four out of him. Like, they need a, a real legit effort out of him tomorrow night. They do. They really do. Um so yeah, so I let that you know, that's something that's going to be uh, something to watch, something that's going to be really interesting. But but I'm 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 starting to believe a little bit more, Bob, in in the rotation. Like I, I think that I'm seeing things, you know, and I and I like where they're at now. Again, so I think that Wheeler getting kind of the later start is going to be beneficial for him down the and later in the season. Because you remember last year, he had a couple starts down the stretch that were just like, ugh, they were good, but mm, he had that one inning and it was just like, 
kill you because that they because they couldn't hit last year, right? And so it's like you, you know you need Wheeler to, to to throw a shutout or one run every game that he started, and he would give up three and be like, oh, they're not going to win this game now because of that. I, yeah. I I just think that you know that was the, that was him at the end of his line, and I think that him getting a little bit later start this year is actually going to make that line go much further. Um, so I'm look I'm excited about that. Nola, I just think that there's something. I'm just watching the way he pitches. He is now – he's at a consistency level that he was at the year that he was a Cy Young finalist. Right. That's what, that, That's the kind of – his ERA is a little up because um, he does he has given up seven home runs. But he – other than that, he is – he's really there, man. I mean, he's really he's, – he's very, very consistent game to game to game. And, you know, Suarez, man – you go back to when he became a full-time starter last year, and you add in those starts and the first seven starts this year, I think his ERA is like 1.7 or something yeah, it's like that. Sub, it's sub two. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like you, know, like, you don't really think about that, but, I mean, it's he's been that good. And, then, and, and then, with this conversation about the starting rotation, it goes back to what I said. Noel's consistency provides more upside. Zach Wheeler, I think you should be able to believe in. Ranger Suarez is sort of the, the, the deciding factor in this because I don't think anybody's going to kid themselves and say that Kyle Gibson and Zach Eflin are, are lights-out guys or super high-ceiling guys. They're just steady in that back end. But you're right. slotting Ranger Suarez in the middle of this thing, and he continues to be what, what he's been. That's where you feel good about this rotation. And listen, you look at the game on Saturday night, he's on the ropes in the fourth inning. Phillies get out a couple runs early on. It looks like the Dodgers are about to knock him out. He's given up three runs through four innings. He gets out of a tight spot in the fourth, and then he gives you a clean fifth, sixth, and seventh inning. And all of a sudden you go, wow, they had that guy on the ropes. He looked like he didn't quite have it. And then he turns in seven innings for you. And that's that's big time. And you talk about a guy having balls, like a guy having some poise. He seems to have that. He seems to be unfazed when things go wrong, things don't go the way they're supposed to. And I love the way that he works on the mound. And I've been really impressed with him. I've been impressed with him in basically every role in which he's pitched since he's been up here. So, yeah, I'm with you. And you can kind of talk yourself into it and go, oh, deeper into the numbers. Like, listen, uh, what's their rotation ERA this year? It's 398. That's actually only 19th best in baseball. That's not very good. But the eye test when you look at what this rotation yeah. gives you a little bit of a rocky start to the season you talk about the early april stretch there but they've really sort of calmed down gotten their feet on the ground and, and just the eye test you feel good about what you're getting out of these guys on a nightly basis yeah i, I do i think that i think that um you, you know ultimately if you really want to look at you know the kind of production that they're going to give you i think at the end of the year Come end of the year, assuming nobody gets, you know, hurt and or gets like has like a blow up game and then gets hurt or something like that. I think that you're looking at, at a, a five man rotation that has an opportunity for all five guys to be on the plus side ERA plus. I you know, plus plus one hundred. A, a reasonable a reasonable prediction. And, and that's no not a lot of teams have five guys who could do that. You know, your ace always should be, and your number two guy probably. Th your number three guy you know, is usually hovering right around it, and then four and five are, you know, either right at 100 or below, okay? I mean, that, and that's usually how it is. But that's like I look at that and I say that's kind of a, you know, when you're measuring a rotation, that's kind of what you want to be at. You want to, you know, that's something to strive for. I think all five guys can get there. I really do. 
I mean, you got two already. Two of them are over right now, and that's Nolan Suarez. Wheeler's going to get there. There's not a question. Gibson's right at 98. I mean, that's kind of, you know, where I, you would kind of expect him to be. He's a guy you'd expect to be right around there. And Eflin, I mean, he's only at 89, but he's only pitched 24 innings. So, I mean, I think, he, you know, as he builds up, as long as he stays healthy, I think he's a guy that can get there as well. That's something that, to me, will dictate a lot of – of what you do, if you have five pitchers who are putting up an ERA plus over 100, you're a winning baseball team. And you're not just a winning baseball team at 82 and 80. You're a winning baseball team. And that's that's what excites me about you know this, this rotation with this offense. Is it almost fair to say that the Phillies through 35 games have essentially been what we expected them to be? A, a pretty good rotation, a not very good bullpen, and an elite-level offense. And it's weird because when you look at the record, I, I wouldn't say that. If you yeah. would have asked me where where do you want to see the Phillies through 35 games, I would have said 20 and 15, 19 and 16. Well, they're, so Pythagorean, they're, they should be 19 and 16. Yeah, we're talking about two games. So if they yeah. were 19 and 16, I think we'd feel so much better about where this team sits this morning yeah. than from where we kind of where we're at. And I don't, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm in a, a bad space with them. I just. You know, they, they, they leave you wanting a little bit more, and they're just a little bit off from where I think they should be. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny because you know, we sit there and say, oh, yeah, 19 and 16, we'd be happy with that. And, you know, a lot of times, and I think, again, I think this is a thing where fans have a hard time grasping you. Say, well, this is a team's always around 500, always right around 500. And, and it seems that way. It certainly does. And don't, don't get I me mean, wrong. I mean, the title of our episode two, two times out ago was 500 Forever. <laughs> 500 Forever. I mean, it does seem that way, right? But, I mean, in, in reality, if you're 19 and 16 over 35 games, now play that out over 162, wow. right? What's the difference there, right? Now you're six games over after 70. You're 12 games over after 140, yeah. okay? And then over your last uh, 22 games, let's say you're two games over, you're 14 games over 500. What's that record? That's 88 and 74. Yeah. That's a, that's a playoff team. That's, that's a team that has a shot at the division, probably a wild card. And that's kind of where we – Put them right. I mean, I I think predicting that kind of preseason, you know, we were in that kind of range with this team. That's so. Yeah, are they right where they, right where they should be? Like you said, maybe a game or two off, but not ridiculously far off. All right. So let's talk a little bit about expectation to actual performance. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the offense. And I've been okay. I'm kind of anxious to talk about this particular player. I, I want to start by acknowledging that Gene Segura, after just a hideous start, has, has done a fantastic job. He's sort of rounded into – he's kind of become this team's – maybe not the flashiest hitter, but he's just so damn solid. I don't want to say he's their best hitter. Certainly, we haven't talked about Bryce Harper 45 minutes into the show, who's been out of his mind. And I know he's DHing, but probably is at least in the conversation as the league MVP again after this weekend. Yep. So, I, I – it's almost like obvious, too obvious to say, wow, Bryce Harper's been so awesome because he has been. Gene Segura's done a great job kind of reviving his season after a dismal start. But the one guy I want to talk about is a guy that I, I usually tend to bring up when things aren't going well, and that's Reese Hoskins. And so last Monday, if we were talking about Reese Hoskins, and I, we did, and I think we were talking about him potentially not being a long-term fit on this team and, and all of those things, we talked about his numbers, which were brutal. And we then very quickly said, but you can probably expect that crazy run eventually where he'll get things going. And we are now in the middle of that crazy run. His seven games uh, out west. Are you ready for these numbers? Here we go. 
Seven games. He had 33 plate appearances. He hit 375 with a 394 on base percentage and a 1144 OPS. He started that road trip with just two home runs and he finished it with six. He was great this week, and he is now in a spot where he raised his overall average from 190 to 236, and his OPS from 638 to 764. He raised his OPS by essentially 115 points uh, over the last seven games. He's kind of now where you sort of expect him to be. He's not a great hitter. He's a dangerous hitter, and his numbers now sort of reflect about where you'd reasonably expect him to be. Now, the question I have for you is, does his recent performance change the way you feel about about him? Because a week ago, or two weeks ago, we talked about, listen, Alec Bohm and Reese Hoskins probably aren't both going to be in, the, in this team's infield two years from now. Mm-hmm. Bohm has been a- outstanding. And, I mean, there's just really nothing you can say bad about him. Now, he DH'd yesterday, right? Yes. But after that three-error game, he's made two additional errors in 67 opportunities. That's impressive in a lot of ways. I mean, I know the range isn't there, but you you look at his year last year. I, I know I'm getting a little off track here, but you look at his year last year, and things just snowballed on him so badly. He took poor bats into the infield. He took poor defensive plays into his at bats. He's really... He's shown you that he looks like more of the player that he was in 2020 than he was in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, now here comes Reese Hoskins. He, he looks more like the player a lot of people projected him to be, not this totally overmatched disaster that he was for basically five weeks to start the season. I still don't believe that both of them are going to be on this team in 2024. I don't think they're going to both be on this team in 2023. Do you look at Reese Hoskins' week? I guess this is a really long way of saying, does this set up Reese Hoskins to be a centerpiece thumper in the middle of a playoff lineup, or does it just reiterate your point, which was he provides extreme value. You should really think about trading him. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And And I like Reese. I do. Uh, but it's funny. It's, it's like it's funny that I say that because everyone I, likes. Him. <laughs> no, I mean, but I know, but I like the guy. Like I mean, I mean, as a as a player, I mean, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's defensively challenged, and yes, he's streaky. I, there are things to that, but I think that there, I, I do think that he has a clutch bone in his body. You know what I'm saying? Like you, there are times, and we saw it last year, Bob, when when just before he got hurt and was out for the year, where he was the other catalyst with with Harper. He was that guy, and like he would, he would have those big moments when they were needed to get the Phillies back into, to get them into first place uh, in in late July or whatever it was when they when they uh, early August when they beat the Mets that that sw- swept them that series. Like Hoskins was hot then. Um, that was he. He's that guy. So I think that there's something there, um, and, and so it's it's so I like that. I like that about him. I, I don't think that he's you know one of those guys who gets completely lost in himself. If even if he's struggling, I think that there are he, he has ways of getting out of it. But at the same time, there is no other player on this roster who provides the value that you need to go get what you need to fill the holes that you have if you're going to make a push in the playoffs this season than Reese Hoskins. And I hate to say it, but he's 29 years old, right? How much longer does he have going with this? 
Another two well, years, then and then he starts to fall off a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like this you is know the... the contracts. You know the contracts yeah. are puzzle pieces. And so yeah. why? So if you're listening to this and you say to me, well, why? Why are you so sure that both Bohm and Hoskins won't be here? They're both hitting and they're both homegrown guys. And this is what the Phillies need. Hear me out. Nick Castellanos, five-year deal. Okay. Kyle Schwarber, four-year deal. Reese Hoskins is arbitration eligible next season. He'll probably make about $10 million, and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. You have Bryce Harper, who right now has a torn UCL and is a primary DH, and he may be that for the rest of this year. Don't just assume that he's going to be playing defense for this team come the end of June, early July. Alec Bohm, right, is under team control through, I believe, the 2027, 2026 season. So if you've committed money to Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwerber, uh, Bryce Harper, guys that are filling up your DH spot right now, Alec Bohm, you don't know what he can do defensively. Are you bringing back Reese Hoskins, who could be a 35-40 home run guy, to play a, a very average at best first base, which is probably being generous, on top of all of these other guys who are pretty one-dimensional. They don't have speed. They can't play defense. They thump. But how many guys like that can you conceivably put on your team? And I know that Reese Hoskins and Alec Bohm are different players. They don't have exactly the same skill set at the plate offensively. But I just think with those contracts that they've signed long, you know, long-term with guys like Schwarber Castellanos, I, I just don't know how you run it back with Hoskins. And that's yeah. why I'm here. And, and, and I think if and you're right about it, it, it's it's good to point out that him and, that he and Bomer are different kind of players, and it's also good to point out the the puzzle pieces of those other contracts, right? So when you look at Harper, Schwarber, Castellanos, what do you think offensively? Thump, thump. You think, right? You know, thump. get on base and thump. Right. When you look at when you think of when you compare Hoskins and Bohm, who's who's more like those guys? Hoskins, oh, Hoskins, for sure. Yes, right? Absolutely. So, Bo a little bit different. Bohm doesn't have the, the power that maybe we all thought he was going to have when they drafted him third overall. I mean, he's only got two home runs this year. So, maybe Alec Bohm never really tops out as more than – maybe he only ends up being a 20-home run guy, right? Max in, in a season. But if he's going to hit for high average and get on base and have a nice approach at the plate where he has that – that good inside-out swing with two strikes to hit the ball to right center and and you know and, and getting a bunch of doubles. Um, you know, if he's going to be that guy, that fits this lineup mold to me a lot better than just another guy who can hit the long ball. Right. And that's and why I think that's why I think Bohm, and plus he's four years younger. That's why I think Bohm is a better long-term part of this organization than Hoskins is. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, listen, like you said, he's younger. He's going to be cheaper because he's younger. And in a vacuum, I would say, well, if Al Bohm can't consistently drive the baseball, I don't want a first baseman. It, because it, can he stick at third base is one question. And if the answer is right. no, where is he going then? He's going to go to first base, right? That's that's pretty much the only other solution here. Maybe you could do the old Pat Burrell thing where you stick him out in left field and see what happens. But he's probably going to first base. So, in theory, you don't want a player like that at first base. But if you have Schwarber in your lineup, you have Castellanos in your lineup, you have Bryce Harper in your lineup... You can get away with a guy that's not a 35-40 home run guy at first base. You, you, can, you can live on that. So it's just a different skill set. I know it's a weird conversation to have in the middle of May right now, but when you watch Reese Hoskins go and you talk about, like, is this team good enough? And just because they won five out of their last seven games out west, I, I don't know that it should t 
terribly change your overall view of this team. Like, you probably shouldn't have buried them at 12 and 16, but you probably shouldn't anoint them as a, the, the winners of the NL East at 17 and 18. So I think at some point along the way here, we're going to have to have a conversation about can the Phillies change this roster and, and take it up a different level here? And I, I think it's going to eventually come back to conversations about Boom, who had been speculated to be in you know, trade discussions back in March, and Reese Hoskins. I mean, those are the two guys, as you said, that you could probably work a trade around. And so it's just something to kind of keep your eye on. Like when guys go, well, you don't want to trade them, right? Like you don't want to trade guys when they're being productive. But if anything, I think it kind of makes the conversation even more relevant now that he seems to be rolling again. No, I, I agree. I agree, Bob. I, I, you know, it's, I, I think that that's really going to be the most interesting thing to see what happens here as the Phillies move forward because I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're going to you know, continue, maybe, you know, not at the torrid pace that they were this past week, but that offensively they're still going to be you know, at, the to- at or near the top of the, uh, of the leaderboard in a lot of categories. Uh, I think the starting pitching is going to be there as long as they don't get hurt. And the bullpen's going to have games that are just going to you know, eat your heart out. Um, and, and, and we're going to see where the Phillies are. They're going to be in the mix, um, whether it's for uh, the division or a wild card. And then let's see over the course of the next couple months, how does Hoskins and Bohm fit into that? And what will what will happen? Because I think ultimately, I do think one of those guys gets you what you need to make the put to make a push this year. Um, and the question then becomes, which one do you where, where which way do you go? Obviously, we would we prefer keeping Bohm and moving Hoskins. And I would be honest with you, I would do that sooner rather than I don't think that's something you need to wait to the deadline. I think that's something you could do, you know, now. I mean, you got to identify what that need is, though. You know, what well, is the need? Is the, is the need a center fielder? I, I got to tell you, I, I know we talked about it last week, and, and we've said, hey, starting rotation depth. I don't know that I'm trading Reese Hoskins for a closer. You know what I mean? Like that—that's where I, I do have a hard time with that. Like this this team desperately needs bullpen hope or help. Am, am I trading a guy that can hit potentially 35 home runs and and put up an 840 OPS for a closer? I, I don't think I can do that. So then, what am I trading? Maybe maybe there's more to it. You know what I'm saying? Is this one of those mega deals where five players are going back and forth? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you're not just trading him for a closer. Maybe you're trading him for a couple of pieces. And I'm not saying you're going to trade him for a starting center fielder and a closer, Right. right? But maybe you can get a starting pitcher depth guy who can kind of serve as that number six maybe in a long man if, if the, everybody's healthy and a closer. And yeah. now all of a sudden you get two pitchers out of the deal for Reese Hoskins. And maybe one of them's got a little bit of term left. So you're, so you're not just like, you know, getting, I think you do that, getting somebody you know, that's a rental. I think that's an organizational, you come together and, and you know, like, hey, we're trending in 2024 not, not having this guy. You know, let's be proactive. Now, if you feel like, hey, listen, there's a lot of things that can happen. There are moving parts. We can rework things. There, you know, We're not necessarily married to Schwarber and Castellanos. Maybe, maybe we can get ourselves some flexibility moving forward. Big ifs there. You know, We want to try to make it work with Reese. We're going to let this thing roll. That's fine. But if you know, like, if you're Dave Dombrowski and you say there's no shot, I see what these guys are talking about, and he's just not going to be a part of this in 2024, then, yeah, I mean, being a little bit more proactive – going sooner rather than later may not be the the worst idea hard to make a move in may but 
maybe once the calendar flips to early July rather than waiting for the deadline, if these needs continue to be pressing needs, maybe you'd be a little bit more aggressive than you otherwise would be. Yes, absolutely. All right, absolutely. well, uh, do you have a one last thing for me of today? Course I, of course I do. Of course Beautiful. I do. So, Sunday Night Baseball last night was, was something, and I, there's, there's actually two things off of the game that I wanted to run past you. Uh, and the first one is this, because we're, we're going to get to your buddy Gabe in, in, in a second. Um, <laughs> but, but, but the first one is this. You know, the, the St. Louis Cardinals in, in my lifetime have been the baseball team that has somehow, some way, been successful through devil magic more than anybody else, right? I mean, you go back and you think of just in, in recent years, you know, the, the, the World Series against Texas. Like, they never should have won that World Series, and yet they did. And they never should have beaten the – they never should have faced the Phillies in the first round of the playoffs and beaten the Phillies and did um, because of the way things worked out, like, magically for them. They went to a World Series one year with only 83 wins. I mean, they, this, is, this is a team It's just like – and they're always there. They're always kind of just – nipping at your heels a little bit. People sometimes forget about them, and then all of a sudden, come October, there's the freaking Cardinals again. <laughs> now they've reunited. They got, the, they got the troop back together for one last run, run one last uh, you know, concert tour with Pujols and Wainwright and, and Molina. And, and you watch them play last night, and just the way that this team, had, like they just look like already. They're a team that's, that's together. They're a team that likes each other. They're a team that wants to win for each other. In, in in early May, do they scare you a little bit? Because they scare me right now. And they're, well, not a, and they're, they're not a great team overall, but there's something about them. There just always is, and it, they scare me a little bit. There's a certain pedigree with that team. It's just, oh, we got the Cardinals. No matter who you're facing, what the lineup looks like, it's we got to deal with the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. They're like the NFL equivalent of Green Bay. Green Bay, yeah, I was going to say the Chiefs, because like, I go back yeah. to like the Priest Holmes. Like, I know the last few years the Chiefs are like upper echelon, elite, elite. But yeah. the Chiefs, like for years, even before Prima Holmes, right, like Alex yeah. Smith Chiefs, you're like, this team's not great, but they're they're just good. They're always pretty good. Um, So I, I look at it, and I'm with you. They have this like last dance thing going on you know the last hurrah pull holes like i could just see that guy playing in october then being the story because you know the, the cardinals fans have just been so tortured for so long now you know <laughs> <laughs> i just it's one of those things you can kind of visualize and when you look at the numbers and you know i'm mr numbers rattling off all my all my metrics and stuff but they're one of the few teams in baseball that have a top five or a top 10 ops and a top 10 team era and like you said, they don't blow you away. Nothing jumps off the page. They have some older players, guys that you're like, dude, how are they even doing this? But the numbers are the numbers, and they are kind of what you you would describe them as. Not a team that really excites you, but just steady, know how to win, seem to have some vibe about them right now. And yeah, like, would I be shocked if we're dealing with those that, that team in, in October? I, I wouldn't be. And as someone who thinks that the Phillies are a, a wild card team, it's, it's a relevant conversation because you start to go through the National League, right? Right. And the Mets and Phillies and Braves, I think, are all in the mix in the East. The Brewers and Cardinals are the only two teams that, that are in the mix in the Central. I, don't, I know you don't love the Brewers, right? You're kind of anti-Brewers. I, I, you know, the Brewers have—they've surprised me a little bit with their with their run production, but I just don't love their lineup. I, I, their pitching's great. I just don't do, love. Their do you lineup. expect the Cardinals to finish ahead of the Brewers? I, you, I'm starting to think that they might. 
So, and then, then you go out west, and we've talked about the um, legitimacy of, of the teams out west. You know how I feel about the Diamondbacks, the Rockies. I think we kind of know what they are. Yeah. And then you have the Giants, Padres, Dodgers. So the reason why I, I rattle all these teams off is because I'm, I was only counting, when I did my projection for the NL East, or, or I'm sorry, I did the, my projection for the NL Wild Card, the, the Cardinals were a team that I thought the Phillies were certainly better than. And if the West is going to be the West, the Cardinals and Brewers both being good, things get a little interesting. Yeah. That's, and, and that's why I kind of go, we, we focus so much on what the Phillies are that sometimes it's hard to lose or it's, it, it's hard to kind of keep track of the entire context of the league. And, and the Cardinals do concern me because that's a team that I pencil the Phillies in ahead of. Yeah. I'm just, you know, it's just you're right. It's that it's it's that you know, let's the last dance kind of thing. And and they're and they're and their stars who are Goldschmidt and Arenado are being Goldschmidt and Arenado right now. I mean, they're they're literally the best hitters on the team, no question. Um, and then you got the like I said, then you got all the veterans. Are there you know, like and, two guys like in baseball that are? I know that Nolan Arenado is like a human highlight reel, and Goldschmidt's a, a great hitter. But are there just like two guys in baseball that are more overlooked than those two? Yeah, where you're like, I think... yeah, those are great, but like whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, because because they were they were both came from teams that yeah, weren't great. I mean, in Colorado, right? Yeah. And and now they're together in St. Louis, you know. And and then you look at the, you know, there's other there's guys that are underperforming on that team. You know, you you wonder when's Dylan Carlson going to turn it around? You know, when, when, you know, um, uh, you know, and he's, he's not had a great start. And Tyler O'Neill's not had a great start. Uh, Edmund's been pretty good at, the, at second base, but uh, but you know, but then you but then you look at it and you say they got guys on the, on this team that are just gonna they're gonna find their way, aren't they? And you know, out of the blue, where, where's you know uh, uh, Mikolas come from this year? That he's I mean, like he's like out, outrageous through seven starts right now. Just the, his numbers are so, are sick. Yeah. One four nine ERA in seven starts, zero point nine four WHIP, two hundred against him. And I'm a big like moments guy. And, and there you are last night on Sunday Night Baseball playing a good Giants team, and you got Albert Pujols out on the mound. And yeah. it's like I'm like a big video yearbook guy. So at the end of the year, and you go back and look at the 2022 Cardinals, it's like, oh, and then there was the night that Pujols pitched on national TV, and it was a magical night and magical. Yeah. It has that vibe. I agree. It does have it that does. vibe. It does. It does. Which brings me to Gabe from last <laughs> night. Maybe I'm over. Maybe I overdo it. Right? You know, we have we had this discussion earlier in the season when he had his thing where he was bunting up six runs, whatever. And he said, "Well, you never you, you never disrespect the other team. They always think that you know you gotta assume that they're gonna come back, and you know they're they're always gonna fight. we're always gonna do everything we can to win." And blah 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 blah. When Gabe goes to the seventh inning. And he start and he brings in an outfielder to pitch in the seventh inning, and has no one warming up, and plans to finish the game with position players pitching. Is that not kind of waving the white flag? And and, and that's okay to do. I'm not criticizing that. But at that point, are you not kind of sort of asking the opposition, "Hey, we're we're giving you this one. Call off the dogs," which the Cardinals they did. They kind of obliged. And it was one of the – and this is where we talk about, you say, is it an unwritten rule kind of thing? Like when one team kind of gives up that you should also do – that you should not – not that giving up, but that you should pump the brakes. They're basically telling you we're not going to get back in this game. So, so and that's your, it. What is the so complaint what, here? It's not that it's necessarily a complaint. So much so as it is that is it, if, you're, if it's okay for you to kind of tell the other team, 
hey, we're 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 done for the night. You got this one. I'm not going. I don't want to waste my bullpen. I'm going to throw, you know, Luis Gonzalez, my outfielder, is going to come in. He's going to throw 80 miles per hour at your guys. You know, it'd be, it would be. It's almost like saying it would be nice if you guys could just, you know, play out the string with us, which the Cardinals didn't. They made Pujols pitch, right? I mean, they went ahead and did the same. But at the same time, when a, when a team's not holding your runner on and you're stealing second base, you know, or you're laying down a bunt up seven runs when they're playing back, isn't that kind of going just I against the opposite? You see what I'm saying? It's kind of the I opposite. It. It's the I opposite situation. Like the other team, yeah, yeah the, the other team's basically telling you, yeah, look, you know, we're, we're backing off. You guys have this one. And you keep coming. But that when you do it, and the other team is the other team's supposed to back off. And that's why I, that's why I think well, it's a... So I have a problem a, with it. It's a slippery slope, I guess. But I, yeah. I mean, the, the Cardinals don't have to back off there. I mean, the Giants, right. say, this is what You're we're right. doing. The, the Giants, I think that the, the bigger takeaway here for the Giants is just like, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to try to beat you into submission if we have the opportunity to do it. You're going to have to blow through your bullpen. We're going to make you work harder. And what we're going to do is if we see an opportunity to kind of pull off, and save ourselves, we're going to do that. And you can do whatever the hell you want to do. That seems to be the vibe that they're giving off. Now, you're right. Like, it's kind of a weird thing to, to if you're always like, a, we're going to go 100% no matter what, and then pull up short like that, it's it's kind of contradictory. But I think that Gabe Kapler's philosophy here is, I'm always going to do what I think is going to be the best thing for my team, and I just really don't give a damn. Yeah. And I hear you. And, I, and that's fine. And that's fine. I just think that the, you know the, Car- the Cardinals' response to it is when you started this by saying Gabe Kapler, I thought you wanted to do the the mustache. I debated twice on air, <laughs> on air, in regional talk show radios this week, on Sunday afternoon and on Thursday. I was with I was on with Hunter Brody on ninety seven five. Love love Brody. Uh, I like Brodes a lot. Good dude. And uh, Mike Gill and I debated the merits of the the mustache beard conversation on thursday so uh i thought you were going there no 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 i'm not yeah i'm not that kind of guy right i don't i don't give a shit with people how they want to look on tv that's fine Uh, (laughs) no i you know me i'm more into the i'm more into the game itself you know part of me wanted the cardinals to just say screw you gabe and just keep pounding these guys into submission and put up 30 runs part of me wanted to do that but another part of me wanted the cardinals to do exactly what they did because that's the way that's that's sportsmanship. That's hey man, you got us tonight. You were the better team. Applause to you. We'll see you next time. That kind yeah. of thing. And like I, I'm good with that too. I'd prefer that, in all honesty, than a team saying, "Screw you. We're gonna, we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep rubbing it in and make your life, lives even more miserable." Like I just don't, I just don't like that. It makes you, it makes you a target. And I think that when you're a target, ultimately that, that you know, you're gonna get hit with the arrow. If you don't have the target. You know, then maybe you do, you can dodge those bullets later in the year. But I think when you have that target, that you're ultimately going to get hit with it. Not to say that he got hit with it last night, but that it's it's going to come back at some point. Right. Some team. Yeah, some so. team's going to. Some team's going to be like, screw you for the way you the way you are. And and they're oh, gonna, definitely, and they're that gonna. definitely is in play. And I know that not everybody in baseball <laughs> loves Gabe Kapler, especially. So there will be plenty of uh, plenty of teams that would be more than willing to to give it when when that opportunity arises. So, to put a nice little bell on this, you have the uh, Phillies heading uh, back home now. We'll get three with the San Diego Padres before they get a quick turnaround with the L.A. Dodgers. And I got to imagine that you're going to get the Dodgers' best shot this weekend. So, it'll be an interesting six games back at Citizen Bank Park for the Phillies. By the way, Padres? 
really good defensive team. I don't know if you've watched any of their games. It's going to be a contrast of styles this week. They, they get to everything. They are a very good defense. And this is without Tatis, right? Okay. They're a very good defensive team. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Talk about, talk about a guy who's on fire. How about Eric Hosmer? Yeah. Yeah. A guy that I've kind of soured on a little bit. Like, yeah. just, eh, whatever. Is the, you know, just a guy, yeah. more of a meme than the actual production, but he's been good. Yeah. So it'll be a, a very, very interesting week as the Phillies will continue their quest to try to get on the right side of 500. Can they do it? Stay tuned. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Make sure that you follow us uh, on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcasts, and we will talk to you guys later this week.